Hello and welcome to the Frozen Light Podcast. A podcast aimed at staying in touch with the PMLD community in the age of coronavirus. I'm Lucy Garland and I'm one of the co-artistic directors of Frozen Light. And I'm Amber Onak-Gregory and I am the other co-artistic director of Frozen Light. And Frozen Light make multi-sensory theatre for audiences with profound and multiple learning disabilities, which tours theatre venues across the UK. At this time when the theatre scene being shut and people aren't going out and we're unsure when people may be going to the theatre again, we have started this podcast to stay in touch with the PMLD community during this time. And we would absolutely love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on info at frozenlighttheatre.com. Now that we've heard very vague plans about how the theatre sector might start to open firstly with rehearsals, we'd really, really love to hear from viewers about their thoughts about coming back to the theatre in the future and how they might feel. Yeah, so please do get in contact. We're trying to hear from a wide range of voices as to how you would feel about going back to the theatre, what would need to be in place for you to feel safe to return and what Frozen Light can do to support you on that journey. So do please get in touch and we'll put our contact details at the end of the episode. We're really excited today to be joined by Sarah Walker and her brother, Dan. Sarah has previously been to two Frozen Light shows, one with her brother, Sam, and we can't wait to welcome them onto the podcast today. So we'll just give Sarah a ring now. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on the Frozen Light podcast today. Can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. My name's Sarah Walker. I am the sibling to two brothers who have PMLD. We're in our 30s now. Um, and very suddenly we lost our younger brother Sammy last year so it's just Dan and I now um, and we're here to talk to you about our experience of lockdown. Amazing well thank you for coming and I know that we've met you at Frozen Light shows so we're really excited to talk to you today. So Sarah can you tell us what does your lockdown look like and how has life changed for you um, and for your family, etc. Okay, so um, life has changed quite significantly. On the 17th of March, um, we made the decision to shield my brother Dan um, before any government decision was made and many weeks before we received a letter instructing us to do so. Dan had had a ambulance admission to a hospital for breathing difficulties only a couple of weeks before COVID sort of landed here and we felt quite strongly and we still feel quite strongly that um, to be honest he'd be unlikely to survive if he did get COVID. So we have obviously taken every measure that we can to um, protect him. So we usually have a small team of PAs that we employ through an individual budget. And so Dan's support is a balance of family support. Um, I'm actually a paid member of Dan's team of support. And um, so no one has been over the threshold since the 17th of March. So 
we've not had any PAs in, we've not had cleaners in, and we haven't had visitors. And Dan hasn't been out of the house at all, although there's some breaking news <laughs> on that, uh, that this week we've taken some small steps to be brave and, and go outside. Um, and that was directed by Dan, but we'll probably come to that a bit later. So we normally, Dan would be going out every day, supported by, like I say, a blend of, of family and, and PA support. And that would be um, going on bike rides and that is an accessible bike. Um, walks, go to the zoo, he normally goes swimming um, several times a week. And obviously all of that has stopped. And so we've had to try and find a new, a new routine for Dan um, to keep him stimulated and, and happy during this time. Obviously a lot of us, all of us have had to sort of <laughs> change, our, change ourselves up um, in this time. But um, the, one of the main things for me is that on the 17th of March, I actually moved back into my parents' house. And so Dan lives with my parents and I live um, just up the road. But at the time of lockdown, some very close family friends, our chosen family, were in the process of relocating. So they had moved from Cambridge and they were staying in my house. So they're in my house. <laughs> And I've moved back in with my parents so that we could shield Dan. At first, obviously, we didn't know how long that was going to be. So took a bit of an overnight bag with some clothes. And the weather's changed quite a bit since, since lockdown started. So um, I've had to stand outside my house in my garden and ask them, um, you know, in the third drawdown, I think there might be a T-shirt that's, you know, sort of <laughs> get them to, to, to get some of our bits and bobs um, back for me so I've got more stuff to use um, so that's obviously quite significant but it does mean that we've got them nearby to remotely support us so um, it's Jeanette and Stuart and their children Indigo and Malachi and um, each day they come my parents have got a dog and I've got who I call my grief puppy so after we lost Sam last year, six months after that, I decided to get a puppy because I needed something to express my, <laughs> do give all my hugs to and things because Dan and I have uh, a bit of a different relationship than I did with Sam and um, hugs are definitely much more on his schedule um, and, and they do occur and he sits on us completely. But yeah, most definitely uh, that's on his his thing. Whereas Sam and me were kind of came as a package often. He would sit in this corner of the sofa and, and he would sit on my knee really because Sam was very small. But obviously trying to look after my grief puppy and support Dan um, was really difficult. So um, the puppy who's called Mr Bingley, um, I don't know if there's any Pride and Prejudice fans out there, but Mr. Bingley loves a ball. <laughs> he goes and stays at my house during the day most days. And um, so our friends come, they walk the dogs, they bring my parents' dog Rory back, and Mr. Bingley goes and stays at my house. Um, and they've also been supporting us with doing sort of going to the pharmacy, going to the shop and things like that. But that has changed again recently because since the restrictions have eased slightly, they've taken the decision to stop going to the shops so that um, in the hope that they'll be able to support us in a more direct way 
that's what we're moving towards that um, we'll be able to sort of, I'll be able to go in my house and it'll be another option for Dan and um, another sort of place that he can go to go and have his lunch somewhere different than, than just here and things like that. Obviously it's been really difficult with, um, we haven't really had any guidance on what to do with the support workers. So my mum leads the package and she has all the employer responsibilities of that. And um, it wasn't until about 13 weeks into lockdown that we got any letter from social services with any guidance about what we were meant to do with them, about um, we couldn't furlough them. My mum was ringing like the insurers and lots of different, you know, so obviously we've got the employer responsibilities, but with no information of, of what to do. So obviously we took the decision that they weren't coming into the house. But it's very difficult to remotely support someone with profound and multiple learning disabilities. Some of the team have been really great on um, fee. She's really, she's been writing some support plans of like craft activities and things to do in the home. Um, there's a project that me and her and Dan had started before all of this where we were, get, we were building a, a sensory board with like door knockers and things on and her and her partner have been building that at home and things. So she's been doing some of those things remotely. But for the first, you know, for many weeks, they, they were, we were paying them and, and we didn't know what, you know, what our responsibilities were really. Um, obviously, you know, wanted to support them, but... <laughs> it was really tricky um, and like I say we were just given no guidance and then after about 12 or 13 weeks we got a letter from social services saying the staff would be paid for um, I think I can't remember how many weeks but a certain number of weeks full pay but that time had come and gone by the time we received the letter so again not not much help or guidance there at all. Has Dan continued to get the, the benefits and have you been able to get the money to, to be able to pay them? Has that continued? Yeah, so Dan's package, um, there's no been no change to the package, but obviously one of the many things that we've been worried about is that we didn't know, had no reassurance that that was going to happen either um, and no information about whether it was correct to pay them for not working and, you know, all of that kind of thing. So it, that's been really difficult. And um, certainly for my mum, who manages um, the package, really unnecessary additional stress and strain. Don't know whether I'm allowed to say, but she rang social services for guidance and, and the social worker um, responded with, we're all running around like headless chickens here. So... Um, Helpful. You know, very helpful <laughs> um so we've got a couple of pas who just work a small number of hours for us that are key workers elsewhere so one of our pas is um an occupational therapist and um the other one uh, works in the morrison's distribution center so both of them right at the beginning um contacted us and said we know that it isn't safe for us to come in and um, provide any support for dan that was a mutual agreement that obviously and and their their responsibilities had increased as well so that was fine but then um had a couple of people that we're their only job and so obviously you know been looking more more closely at that so they have been coming into the garden now and doing some sort of things to help clear the space with Dan, make it a bit, um, you know, sort of more pleasant for us to spend the time in because that's the only place that he's been going. And we've been trying really hard to keep a connection 
with the PAs. Um, Dan is really um, significantly visually impaired as well as his learning disabilities. And so obviously things like video calls and stuff are, are trickier to manage. I'm talking to you now on, on the iPad and um, Dan is used to, if I would ever go like away for the weekend or something, I'd probably do a bit of a video call. He's used to sort of the concept of it but we mainly use it for doing um, videos as a communication guide. So if we were going to go swimming, we'd have a video of Dan swimming um, on the iPad to give him all the clues of like sounds and, and colours and things like that. And obviously we don't know 100% what, what he's gaining out of that, but it's, it's what we can do to give him as many clues as possible. We asked the PAs to call in on the day they would be working and just have a bit of a chat with Dan on the iPad. And we've been really pleasantly surprised with how he's responded to it, actually. We say that the PAs are all in the box now. So he picks the iPad up and sort of gives it a shake if there's no one there. And so I think, oh, who can we ring? <laughs> so you can definitely see um, is in his eyes and you know he'll have a smile and when he recognizes someone's voice but i think you know that's been a huge thing for him because um not only have we had lots of people that come and go in our lives as is common i'm sure for people with pmld and um, you know the staff that work for us people you know their lives change and people move on and you might never see them again and that's hard enough for us as a family when we know where they've gone and what's happened. We also had a PA that had worked for us for 14 years who was a really, really close member of the family. You know, we kind of more like a brother. And um, he had a tragic bike accident three years ago. So he was had been part of Dan's life and then disappeared. And then obviously our brother Sam passed away, well, six months after our granddad passed away. So, you know, Dan has had a lot of loss um, and we were really worried about this whole, okay, Dan, you've just got me, mum and dad now, to try and reassure him that these people were still there and still there for him. Um, so that's been really interesting to see, you know, to give that a try and see how he's, how he's responded to that. And he's definitely recognising people's voices. There's definitely some positives that have come out of um, this time in lockdown. Obviously, since we lost Sam, I've struggled very much so with my grief, um, both on an emotional and a physical um, sense. My energy levels have been, have been really low. And so um, supporting Dan in a direct sense um, had, had not been happening as much because, you know, I, I found that I was needing what I called a toddler nap. I was sort of having a sleep in the day. I couldn't make it through the day. Um, without having a sleep but Dan and I have spent some really lovely time together since lockdown uh, because he and I you know sort of doing music sessions and doing craft and things like that that's one of the things that we definitely connect together doing. You mentioned music there and you've sent us a lovely clip of some music that Dan's playing so we'll play that now. Mm. Mm. You've spoken about 
the lack of advice you've received. And we're now speaking on Tuesday, the 7th of July. Obviously, there was the news about people no longer having to shield from the 1st of August with very little information other than that that's come out. And it's been a bit of a recurring theme that in the podcast, you know, people are saying, you know, we're not exactly sure where to go next. How do you guys feel about that? It's it's really scary. And to be honest, since the restrictions have eased, we feel more scared now than we did before. Because when I was going out on my walks, um, when the restrictions were enforced, you felt like everyone was sort of working together on that. You could tell that people were keeping their distance and respecting that. And now it really feels, you know, there's more traffic on the road and, you know, everyone else seems to be getting a bit more back to normal. And it actually feels more isolating now than it did before. I definitely feel, you know, we're very much forgotten about. People with PMLD weren't contacted for a long time by their GPs and things like that. Our neighbours both had had shielding letters and, you know, Dan's level of support and risk from covid I would think would be much greater. It's really difficult because now it feels like people that are shielding their family members have been assigned into this. Well, we all need to get on with things now, um, you know, for the economy and all of those things, which is absolutely true. I saw a lady um, talking on this morning and she said, you know, people who are vulnerable, they just need to stay in and then the rest of us need to get on and get the country moving again. Well, that's really unfair. Oh, so unfair. Yeah. No, not nice, is it? <laughs> no, it's horrible to... And, and so now we feel more isolated than, than ever. To be honest, at the beginning of, of lockdown, um, it was quite easy. And I know that sounds strange, but I've heard other people say it. That um, for myself, with my grief and things, going out and about and forcing myself to go to places took such a huge amount of energy it was like a reason to, to not have to do that. Um, so the pressure was taken off in that respect. But also, I think families that have grown up with people with PMLD, they're used to making sacrifices or changes to their lifestyles or plans because of the people they love. It's just a daily part of our experience to, you know, not go to that concert or whatever because someone's ill or you know um, change our behavior and I think the general public found it a lot harder because they don't have any of those restrictions they don't have reasons why they have to modify their behavior and so for us you know Dan's in front of me every day and I see the reason why I'm sitting on the doorstep every week and spending an hour and a half disinfecting our online shopping delivery. You see people walk past and you can see them thinking, what's she doing? Obviously, people aren't taking it to that extent and they don't need to, but it's really easy for them to forget that there are people like Dan that need, need protecting. And even more so now because they're not visible, are they? <laughs> they're not out and about um, even more so than, than normal. I've ordered some high-vis, very fetching high-vis vests that basically say shielding from COVID-19, keep your distance. So while we take these steps 
to going out with Dan when we make these changes in the coming weeks. It's a massive, like, glaring sign to say, here we are. And normally, obviously, you're trying to fit in. You're trying to to um, blend with everybody else and you're encouraging physical contact and physical experience with other people and it's really weird that now we're like keep away from that person you know sort of stand back it's so much more difficult to socially distance with someone in a wheelchair than it is if you're on foot the last walk we went on before we went into lockdown was so stressful for mum and I that that was kind of when we decided that we weren't going to take Dan out again. I mean, we were sort of, we went to somewhere that we thought would be quiet. We um, could see people coming up ahead and we were moving over to the side. But there was a lady and she approached and she was trying to stroke the puppy. And we were like, no, you need to keep your distance. You know, my brother's vulnerable. We're trying to shield. That was hard enough when it was kind of more prevalent. And now I think people are just... They're fed up with it, so they're getting back to normal. But unfortunately for us, that's not an option. So, yeah, we've got our nice fetching high-vis vests um, coming soon, hopefully. We will. <laughs> I mean, they, they, sound, they sound great. But I think you're right. I think that point about people, you know, and I know how active you are, have been with your brothers getting them out and about and doing stuff and, and trying to access everything. And now people are, will become invisible again. And like you say, forgotten, like forgotten in three months. Like we're all getting back to normal and people are now allowed to say, oh, well, the vulnerable can just stay inside. Yeah. You know, and that's, so that's, that, that's acceptable in the name of COVID and that's horrific. Yeah. And obviously we, we, we do, we, we choose to, to protect Dan in that way, but it is, it is isolating and it is, it does feel, feel sad to kind of, to hear yourself described that way by people talking on the telly, you know, oh, it's okay, just, you know, they can stay in, you know, it, it, it's really demotivating. And um, yeah, so I, I guess the, one of the reasons why we have started, you know, to get a new routine for Dan. So Dan has noticeably, because we, the PAs aren't here, has been wanting to spend more time directly with us obviously he has high level support needs so we are with him almost all the time but for example after each meal he will normally um take us up to his bedroom and he'll have some time just tap in his favorite toy and um spend some time in his room now the breakfast trick is now just eat my breakfast he takes us upstairs and then more often than not, by the time you got back downstairs, he's back on the landing. So it's good because he's still getting that exercise of going up the stairs, but he obviously, and he, he still needs to do that part of the routine, but he wants to be back near us. So he does spend a little bit more time after lunch having that time, but he's definitely, he needs us, even when he's standing at the keyboard, he wants you right with him. He wants to hold your hand and things like that. He's, he's definitely asking for that sort of closeness um, and reassurance, which is obviously understanding, uh, understandable. And one big thing that we have to do, I mean, Dan would normally, he's nonverbal, but part of his communication is very physical. So he can walk around the house with support. And if he wants to go out, he would normally walk us to the front door and he would often do that. He'd have his breakfast, go upstairs, come back down, have his morning smoothie. And then when he was ready, he'd take us to the front door. 
And he didn't do that for a little while. And one of my biggest worries actually was secondary to COVID was a worry that he would lose a lot of the confidence that we've been working really hard to build up on him going out and about, on him feel, feeling settled in the car and things like that. So we've um, heard from Annie Ferguson that you've been doing a creative challenge. I mean, everything you talk about sounds super creative, but can you tell us a bit more about how this idea came about and how it shaped this time in lockdown? Obviously, there's been loads of great resources popping up in, as lockdown came about um, with people sharing sessions that we tried to do on Zoom or on Facebook, but they didn't really work for Dan because if they were time-specific and that didn't work for Dan and we were trying to get him to come into one room and, and things like that. So it was more looking at once we got our music routine settled, it was then looking at how could we make each day a bit different? How could we um, create sort of, um, you know, something new for each day rather than feeling a bit like the Groundhog Day effect? And personally, myself, my mum, some of our friends, um, I found this thing, the 25-day drawing challenge. And we did that and it was a nice way to connect through um, like WhatsApp and share what you've done that day, but not particularly practical to sort of include Dan in. Um, so often I'd share a picture of him doing something relevant to, to the theme. And then after that, my mom designed a two week cooking challenge because that's more in her uh, area of expertise. And again, Dan enjoyed certainly sampling that. And um, Dan and I created uh, a very amazingly delicious gluten-free biscuit-based lemon meringue pie as part of that. That gave us some, some focus and interest. But we wanted to get some more variety and focus and motivation sort of for each day. Jeanette and I, my friend that's living in my house, um, we spoke with, with their children and chose some different themes that we thought we might like to work on. And we settled on um, the Be Creative Challenge so that it was more flexible and more open for people to interpret as they wanted. So you don't have to be particularly arty or you don't have to be able to cook. Um, you can either learn something new or try out something or you can do something you're really comfortable with. So hopefully it's not sort of as exclusive really. And Dan and I have rediscovered loads of toys and activities and things that we spent some really nice time enjoying um, things that were in the cellar that we haven't used for ages because it fitted with a certain theme. We've made some little videos and things like that. So, and it's made us feel more connected to others because we've been sharing it on the WhatsApp group and things. It's been really nice. And there's a real range of people that we're sharing. I mean, day one was brilliant. We did, it was pond life was the theme. And Dan and I made an edible pond. We made pond gravel using sort of gluten-free Oreo-style biscuits blitzed up in his mini blender and melted butter. We had lime jelly. We had mandarin orange slices um, that I always think look like goldfish when he has them for lunch. So they were popped in there. We made Dan's gluten-free and he doesn't chew. So obviously thinking about all of these things were what were safe textures and what was gluten-free. We dyed some sober noodles with green colouring like pond weed <laughs> uh, we had a chocolate pudding around the pot for mud and then we had green desiccated coconut for the grass oh and we made um, chia seed frog spawn so many different textures so many nice 
smells and, and things to taste. And yeah, we just really had a great time creating that together. Day two was favorite meal, I think. Shapes we did, um, got some beautiful shapes, toys and things, and it was a lovely warm day. So we've got a big, um, a big basket full of sort of warm water in the garden with lots of different shaped toys and things like that to, to experience and play with and things. So we've done all sorts of different things. But yeah, so I'd love it. You know, obviously you guys are going to share, share the challenge um, sheets so that it would be really nice if other people sort of found some really great times, you know, and experiences um, following it. And some people have just dipped in and out, joined in with certain days. So we'll put that on our show notes and link that. And if anybody does do it, please send us an email and we can pass it on to Sarah. And uh, yeah, it sounds really, really fun. You've previously been to Frozen Light Theatre shows before with your brothers and we know you're a huge theatre lover yourself. What do you miss about live performance at this time in lockdown and what do you think the accessible theatre sector adds? One of the things that I'm really missing is um, my connection to Sam and the memory of Sam because a big part of me going to theatre and concerts and shows um, was as a shared experience with Sam and so since we lost Sam, Dad and I have been to quite a few things and it's really helped us feel connected to remember when we went to this other. Um, but one big thing that for me, because it's um, Sam I brought to the Frozen Light home, and then when you were doing Isla Brimska was just after we lost Sam. So I actually came um, with a friend of ours who also has support needs. And I didn't bring Dan. I mean, that's something I absolutely want to look at and work at, at building towards is how to help Dan in those environments. Because as strange as it may sound, you know, even tailored theatre for profound multiple learning disabilities, um, you know, Dan is much more um, worried and anxious about going to different places and things and and things that are outside of his control certainly to do with his um, acquired visual impairment has made things like that more difficult I'm saying to him sorry Dan but there's no uh, you're not getting out of it I'm, I'm gonna try really hard he's, he's, go he's coming to the next tour <laughs> well we would love to meet Dan <laughs> yes, yes and anything so. we can do to help with that anxiety like let us know because we're always trying to yeah. do things like that Absolutely. Um, and, you know, that's as much of a challenge for me as it is for you guys. I've done some training in, um, I did the oily car residency, and it was a big question that I sort of have been pondering is how to make these experiences um, accessible for, for the dance, for people that maybe even, even no matter how many sort of brilliant things you've done and that's I think my favorite things about your shows was the times when things didn't go to plan of um there was one lad that sort of joined you on stage and that was just you know it was just fluidly accepted into part of the performance and um, someone else it was a bit too much for them and a friend of ours sort of went and sat further away and you know it was so wonderful to watch you guys um sort of respond to that and check that it was okay that you followed her 
but didn't it didn't mean that because she wasn't sitting in the semicircle that she was then excluded from the experience those kind of things are much more important you know than just the physical access there's so much the you know allowing people access into those experiences is being flexible yeah sort of allowing people to respond in the way that that they want to i think having the accessible theater and things um it's a great role modeling for some of the support workers that might be or family members that might be bringing um people of of how to open up different sensory experiences and things to them i mean that's kind of the way you know i i've grown up in this world so that's how we experience everything really if we go to the supermarket i'm scratching the lemon peel to smell and feeling it and you know all of that kind of thing because you can get sensory experiences everywhere i mean b&q is a brilliant place to get sensory experiences with buckets of pegs and and sponges in bags and the light aisle and things like that so but i definitely think that that for people to see what's possible um, and, and make people challenge how they're interacting with, with the person they're supporting. I went to the, a relaxed performance of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with um, Sam at the Lowry and there was a young guy behind us who was non-verbal but was enjoying the music vocally. And in the interval, I turned around and I said, oh, I've heard some great singing from behind here. And the support worker said, oh, that will be me. And I was like, no, it wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was the gentleman sat behind me and she went, oh, it can't have been him because he doesn't speak. And I was like trying really hard to say, well, I still, you know, I, he, how he was joining in with the music was singing to me and I was really enjoying it, you know. Um, also, I've found that things that I've taken some to in the past that are designed for people with learning disabilities, there's still a massive range of learning experience for the people running those workshops in how to make them suitable for people with PMLD. Because I've been in many situations where the people, facilitators, group leaders, are much more used to people with mild to moderate learning disabilities that can follow direction um, and there's an expected way that they're going to behave. And I've taken Sam in those situations and it's been a real challenge for them to kind of um, accept that um, Sam joined in, who wants to play the keyboard? And I was like, Sam wants to play the keyboard, he loves the keyboard. And But they had coloured stickers on the keys of you're meant to play blue, then yellow, then orange in a pattern. And Sam just two hands, dun dun! And it went on for ages and was coming out the speakers and, you know, they wanted me to lift his hands off and sort of direct him to press the right colours. And that's a real shame because actually that, you know, Sam was demonstrating a way to experience the music and showing them a different way to do it. There's, you can't expect that if something is even designed for people with learning disabilities, that it's going to be accessible. That's what we find is, is, it can be accessible for most people, but it's always people with the most kind of profound and multiple learning disabilities that are still left on the sidelines. And that's why we really felt with Frozen Light that needed to be something specifically for that group of people who really have access to, you know, very little things are made, especially 
for them. And I think it's a really good point as well with Dan and, and the piano. Actually, instead of forcing what we, a neurotypical person, want to happen in that situation, let's listen to what the participants are saying. You know, Sam was saying, this is how I'm going to play the piano. And the panic of, no, no, that, you're not doing it properly. Actually, let's listen to Sam and let's learn from him and learn what, what that is, you know. Absolutely. It's, you know, having those spaces is a great opportunity for siblings and families to have shared experience if places are more tolerant. Because, you know, when I was growing up, it was I went to something and we had to create something for it to be something that there's only 17 months between Dan and I. Um, so, but provisions were very much separate. So having those places where, um, you know, we could do things together is um is really helpful um and i think just being present in the venues and things like that it's encouraging the tolerance and being able to contribute i have had experience you know really sad experiences of um i took sam once to a cinema showing of the billy elliott um show we didn't actually make it past the advert because a, a member of the audience complained to the staff that sam was making noises and it was distracting him well sam was sat on my knee and i could still hear what was going on and it was only still the adverts but we really felt pressured in that environment to to not to not be there um, and obviously that person felt that their experience was more important than Sam's or than ours. I took Sam to Lion King and one of our friends was there as well in a different part of the theatre. And someone that was sat near her complained um, that she was making sounds. And the theatre staff responded really well and asked them whether they wanted, um, my friend asked her and her support workers whether they wanted to go into um, one of the boxes. And actually that worked out really nicely for her because she had more space, didn't make any difference to the noise. I could hear her where I was. But, you know, the approach that going to something like The Lion King, which is a family show, that people should have to sit and be absolutely silent um, to be able to get any sort of enjoyment out of it. It's a real shame. It's only by us being more present and being around in those environments. But, you know, understandably, you've got to be really confident to be that kind of advocate for, you know, Dan and Sam, um, you know, are, are my brothers and I am always been fiercely protective of that and um so the confidence for me in standing up to them in those situations is huge but for people who are new to support work and things like you know it, it's a real challenge to stand up to the people that they're supporting and say this person has every right to be experiencing this and actually i'm not going to get their fingers and press the buttons in the order you want me to because you know he's showing you something and you need to learn from that. Um, so it, it takes a lot to sort of be that advocate, to be that voice for, for the people you're supporting. Absolutely, Sarah. And it's so horrible that we do have to stand up to people, but that does take a lot of confidence and people need to be really empowered to do that. It's really difficult. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. It's been so interesting talking to you today. And now I hear Dan is about and is going to come and play for us on his beautiful dream drum, which is a, which is a drum that, that you guys use a lot. So let's introduce Dan. Here we are, Dan. Oh, hi, Dan. 
You're gonna. Oh, that's it. Maybe, um, maybe today's podcast. Um, Dan can play us out with the drum. Yeah, it's really exciting. <laughs> Do you want to play us any more, Dan? You had enough. Okay. the Frozen Like podcast today. Thanks, guys. And we will see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the episode. And what a treat to be played out by Dan on his dream drum. How much do you want a dream drum? Yeah, I haven't even heard of a dream drum before. They're very cool. And just so you know, it was green as well, which made it extra cool. And actually, Sarah's sent us a link to the Dream Drum, so we will put that on our show notes. What I really enjoyed hearing from Sarah today was her passion for theatre and how many opportunities she took her brother Sam to in the theatre and music and how important that was in their lives. And also really, really interesting to hear about issues that they have come across when going to the theatre. I mean, we certainly always want our frozen light shows to feel like the audience are able to move around the space to make noise and all of that is built into part of the show but I do think it's really interesting as a society for us to question how we can make sure people make with profound and multiple learning disabilities can enjoy mainstream shows without people having to worry about having to stay very very quiet I know I've had um, issues before with taking my my little ones to theatre, even going to see a kid's show, if your kids are noisy, people start tutting at you. And we've really built that into our culture, which people always refer back to Shakespeare's time when it was normal to scream at the stage and throw stuff onto the stage. And that was part of the fun. And I know the Globe kind of still want that kind of atmosphere now. So why is that lost in our society in so many other theatre shows? And I think what's a shame is that a lot of theatres are actually working really hard towards that relaxed model and having more relaxed audiences. But it's actually the fellow audience members that complain and that ask for, for the people making involuntary noise or any noise to be removed. And how do the theatres deal with that is, is a really interesting question that I hope that we can support them with. And I know that a lot of theatres are having to train their front of house staff in dealing with these issues coming up, which is great. But again, surely it's about looking at society. I think once, um, I think it was Kirsty Hoyle from Include Arts said, 
instead of having relaxed performances, should there not just be quiet performances, kind of like the quiet coach on a train so that, you know, if you really, really want to be at a very quiet performance, then you buy a quiet performance ticket and all the rest of them can be for everyone else who, who doesn't mind a bit of noise. I think that sounds like a wonderful idea. I think Kirsty, if you're listening, uh, you should champion that one. I know you're good at fighting. It also came up in the interview just how seriously Sarah and Dan and their family is taking shielding. And I think for us as an organization, it really makes us think about how we will go forward as a company that works so closely with people who so often have underlying health needs. And a lot of our audiences, we know through doing this podcast as well, have been shielding very, very significantly. So again, I think we mentioned it at the start of the show, but please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you because we really want to be able to provide an offer for people with profound and multiple learning disabilities during this time. Another thing that keeps coming up episode after episode is that people feel really isolated and lonely during this time and forgotten by society, particularly when they're shielding. So again, as a theatre company, I know we need to get our creative hats on to think about how we are able to reach people who might feel really isolated during this time to provide some sort of creative engagement. I don't know what that is, but if anyone has got any ideas, please do get in touch. You can find us on www.frozenlighttheatre.com dot com forward slash podcast you can listen to us on all the usual places you'd find your podcast apple Podcasts, spotify and all the usual podcast applications please do rate review and subscribe and you can find us on social media on facebook at forward slash frozen light theater on twitter at frozen theater and on instagram at frozen lights theater and on youtube our username is just frozen light so thanks everybody for listening and we look forward to you tuning in next time thanks everyone bye bye, bye.